Well, good morning, and thank you very much. That was very kind. I love the ladies that lead this ministry. You are all in a really sweet spot, and it is always a joy when I get to come and share. Um, it benefits me because I have to prepare and I have to study, and I like I do like to study and read, but it really holds my feet to the fire to get it done. Um, I would rather study and read than decorate my home or other hobbies. I never know what to do. You look at Pinterest and I look at my wall and I think, should I hang up a picture? Should I put a hundred plants in the corner? Should I put a quote right there? Um, I bet some of your mentor moms have quotes written in cross-stitch. But now if you're trendy, it's on a chalkboard sign. Um, some entertaining signs that I've seen in people's houses are these. I childproof this house, but they still get in. <laughs> Joshua 24, as for me and my house, we will serve tacos. Uh, in the boys' bathroom, if you pee on the seat, I will scrub it with your toothbrush. And my favorite was Alexa, do the laundry. So on my desk, I have a sign that says, I love you to the moon and back. It makes me smile since my son LJ and I have a saying with each other. We say, I love you to the sprinkles on the ice cream that the astronaut has on the spaceship, on the moon, and back. So I like this sign because it reminds me of something that's important to me, and that's cultivating a loving relationship with my son. I have another sign in my home by author Kevin DeYoung. Some years ago, I devoured his book, Crazy Busy, twice, because I read it too fast the first time. He said, the greatest danger with busyness is that there may be greater dangers you never have time to consider. We become so busy with little things that we don't even realize we're missing the important things. When we're busy, and most of us feel busy, we can get lost in the details of what we're doing and we miss the big picture. So are you faithful with the most important things? Do you spend your time on what God says is important? Are you marked by prioritizing your spiritual life, your time in the word, your spiritual relationships, loving others through service? Or if you evaluate, are you committed to things that are really a lesser priority? Are you characterized by good intentions and distractions? I've been asked to teach on the character quality of faithfulness. Faithfulness is a fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5.22. A simple definition of faithfulness is to be trustworthy. Faithfulness is being trustworthy when you are not supervised. It's being trustworthy when your efforts seem unnoticed. If you have your Bible, turn to Matthew 25, because Jesus tells a parable about faithfulness in Matthew 25. It's called the parable of the talents. You've probably read it before. I'll start in 2514. For it is just like a man about to go on a journey, and he calls his own slaves and he entrusts his possessions to them. To one he gives five talents, to another two, to another one, each according to his own ability, and then he went on his journey. The one who received five talents immediately went and did business with them, and he earned five more talents. In the same way, the one who received two talents earned two more. Um, but he who received one talent went away and dug a hole in the ground and paid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those slaves came and he settled accounts with them. The one who received five talents came up and brought five more talents, saying, Master, you entrust five talents to me. See, I have earned five more talents. 
The master said to him, well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter the joy of your master. Also, the one who received two talents came up and said, Master, you entrusted two talents to me. See, I have earned two more talents. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful slave. Uh, you are faithful in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter the joy of your master. And I'll go ahead and stop there. We're just going to point out a few truths in the parable. First, Christ is the master who went on the journey and then returned. We are all servants who should be faithful stewards of the gifts that the master gives us. And finally, there will be an accounting of how these gifts are invested. Now, a talent is not money. A talent is a unit of weight, and it's a heavy amount. Like, um, the large golden menorah in the tabernacle weighed about a talent in Exodus 25, and the menorah is about as tall as I am, so it's, it's a heavy weight. Um, look at verse 16, the adverb immediately. The one who received five talents immediately went and did business with them. So he didn't hesitate. He didn't make a to-do list for later. But he began working right away. I think faithfulness can sometimes just be the simple difference between good intentions and action. Not done perfectly, but just attempted prayerfully. Also, I want us to notice that the two servants are commended equally. They were entrusted with different amounts of resources and they profited different amounts. But they were both told, well done, good and faithful servant. You are faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. And this is how the Bible describes the judgment seat of Christ in 1 Corinthians 3.8. It says, each one will receive his own reward according to his labor. Not according to his results, but according to his labor. Your faithfulness is not measured in comparison to others. Sometimes we can look at other gifted women and almost feel discouraged. We feel, I could never have the fruit that they have. But God knew what he was doing when he gifted you with your mix of strengths and gifts, and he has a plan to use you to bring glory to himself. You just need to follow him and walk in the good works that are set before you. That's Ephesians 2.10. Amy Carmichael, who was a missionary to India, she said, sometimes when we read the words of those who have been more than conquerors, we feel almost despondent. We feel, I'll never be like that. But they won through step by step, by little bits of wills, little denials of self, and little inward victories. It was by faithfulness in very little things that they became what they are. Faithfulness is not glamorous. It's a day-in, day-out pursuit of God. It's in the small, unnoticed moments. And that's really good news for moms, because our lives are full of mundane moments. These moments can seem insignificant, but they prove an, of eternal worth in God's economy. And it's so fitting that at the start of a ministry year, that we stop and focus on faithfulness. We evaluate our hearts, realign with God's purposes to be intentional and to be faithful. So number one in your outline, be faithful to pursue Christ in your personal walk, your personal walk. Our first faithfulness check is our time alone with God in prayer and in the word. I fully recognize that I am speaking to a group of moms with young children. And in this season, it is an accomplishment just to take a shower by yourself. Sitting quietly with your Bible might seem like an unattainable goal, 
or a distant memory, but being steadfast to pray and to read your Bible is a worthwhile pursuit. It's actually your top priority. It's the single most important thing that you can do to strengthen your marriage and strengthen your parenting. When you feel that you don't have time for God, and you feel that reading your Bible is just a legalistic hoop that I have to jump through, then you are living in your own strength. And you're going to teach and correct and clean up messes in your own strength. And inevitably, you are going to be frustrated and impatient. You daily have to turn to God and live in his strength. Job, who went through a lot of trials and in the lowest period of his life, he said in Job 23:12, I've treasured the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. God's words should just feel as vital as eating our meals because it strengthens us for the day. George Mueller said, I see more clearly than ever that the first great and primary business to which I ought to attend every day was to have my soul happy in the Lord, to get my soul into that happy state and how my inner man might be nourished. I saw that the most important thing I had to do was to give myself to the reading of the word and to the meditation on it. And we can think of these old saints as they lived in an ivory tower and had all this time. He ran orphanages. They had a lot, like, he had a lot more kids than we do. So how is your time in the word? Years ago, Walter Henriksen wrote a helpful book called Disciples Are Made Not Born. And it was a favorite of mine as a young believer since it explains the gospel so clearly and with pictures. So that's my level. So, but he describes absorbing God's word with a fantastic illustration, so I wanna share it. He says our handle on the word of God can be measured by our hand. And each finger represents a different aspect of taking in the Bible so starting with our pinky, we hear, read, study, memorize, and meditate. So in the illustration, it's clear that if I'm hearing a message on Sundays and reading it a bit during the week, I'm not gonna be able to have a good grasp on God's word. It is only as I study and I memorize, but especially as I meditate on God's word that I'm going to be able to grab the word of God and have a firm hold on it. So have the enthusiasm to keep dwelling on the word of God the same way you keep opening that favorite app on your phone. You want your mind to go back to the Lord with that same compulsion. When God commissioned Joshua to lead Israel into the promised land, he said in Joshua 1.8, the book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do all according to what is written in it. If you want to obey the word, you have to meditate on the word, and it takes intentionality. It takes focus. As moms, we work really hard at training our kids in focus and in self-control, big buzzwords. Remember when my kids were younger, we would do training exercises in self-control. And at one point, my kids would have to sit on the sofa with a one-minute timer and the rules were no moving, no talking, no touching. For one minute, can they do it? You're doing that. But do you ever sit down to read your Bible and you immediately think of other things you really should get up and do? My top two distractions. I should really get that thing out of the freezer to defrost for dinner. Number two, I'll just reply to that text 
really quick. I need training in self-control. I'm as bad as my kids with the same rules of no moving, no talking, no touching my phone. You have to refuse to be distracted during that time that you are in the Word. And can I plead with you, don't let yourself off the hook because you're in the mom season. Your relationship with Christ is your most important priority regardless of your season. Our world has become so fast-paced. You have to fight for what's important. In every season, there is a distraction and there is an excuse. So don't fall into that trap of thinking that you can put off time with God until you have more time. Every season is going to be busy. When the years pass and you finally feel that you have more time, the habits of living in your own strength will be ingrained in your character. You will not be in the habit of turning to the Lord. So you may not feel like you have much time, but do something with the time that you do have. Now, God doesn't love us more when we do more, and he doesn't love us less when we do less. His love for us is safe because of what he has done in Christ. But we should pursue his presence in gratitude for what he's done and thanks for who he is. You must pursue even when life is full. And can I say especially when life is full? The busier and crazier you are, the more you need to be filled with his word. So letter B, how is your time in prayer? Prayer. The word is when we hear from God. Prayer is where we pour our hearts out to God. Now, I don't know about you, but I can think that I'm fine in the area of prayer until I start asking questions. Like, are my prayers repetitive or are they specific? Do I regularly pray for my husband and my children? Do I pray scripture? Like Paul's prayers in Ephesians 3, Philippians 1. When I struggle with someone, am I quick to confront and complain or am I quick to pray? And when someone asks me to pray for them, do I do it? And do I follow up later? Colossians 4.2, devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. In the last few years, I've been so helped by using prayer prompts. And these have been available for years in books, but the game changer for me was putting them in my phone with reminders. So every day, specific prayers with supporting verses pop up. One for my kids, one for my husband. And I just found the prompts on Revive Our Hearts Ministries, but it has really helped me pray more specifically and more faithfully. And now with technology, I love that it's on my watch when I'm standing in line or when I'm on a walk. It's amazing. But this small change has prompted a huge increase in faithfulness in my prayers. Consider, as we start the year, consider how you could grow to be faithful in prayer and in the Word. Number two, be faithful to pursue Christ in community. In community. We tend to think of our relationship with God as individual. It's my faith. It's between me and God. But most of the New Testament letters were written to churches, not to individuals. And the commands and encouragements that we can personalize are actually corporate commands, and they're for a group. So a key part of your walk with God is the church. It's the believers that God uses in your life. Hebrews 10, 24, and 25, let us consider how to stimulate one another toward love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. 
What does faithfulness in community mean? Well, let's start just with the part that everyone keys in on, and that's go to church. <laughs> Are you faithful in gathering? In gathering. So the part of this verse, not forsaking and assembling together, it is very straightforward. To grow in the Lord, you need to be faithful to go where people are gathered. Being at church regularly is just part of your spiritual growth. We should work to be on time. Not rolling into the parking lot at 8.30 or 10.30, but having the goal of being in your seat. That means preparing the night before by laying out everyone's clothes, knowing your breakfast plan, having your bag packed. Mom Hack 101 is just preparing the, for your day the night before. You should also try to be undistracted at church, just able to listen, take notes, to think about your heart. And this might mean using the children's ministry, even if it's just easier to keep your baby with you. Sundays are challenges for little littles. We remember, we get it. It's a break in their routine. Their naps and their nursing are just off. Um, sometimes you're worried about a sickness they're going to get in the nursery, or maybe your baby cries a lot when you drop them off. So a verse I often think about in the small moments of parenting is Proverbs 29:15. It says, a child who gets his own way brings shame to his mother. In the mundane moments of parenting, I'll often ask, am I letting my child have their own way because it is easier for me? Do I make him go to bed or do I feel it's not worth the battle? Do I train my toddler to do a chore when it's just easier to do it myself? Do I put on their shoes for them, or do I train them to do it without getting distracted? Because children are masters of distraction. And do I train my baby to be happy in the nursery, or do I just keep them with me? These are small things, very small things. But if I choose to give my child their own way, I am going to reap trouble for years to come. So let's be committed to gathering with believers, and we should be at church regularly, on time, able to focus. Letter B, are you faithful in pursuing purposeful relationships? Purposeful relationships. There's three primary charges in Hebrews 10.24. Consider how to stimulate one another, don't forsake assembling together, and encourage one another. Notice that assembling together it's not primarily about a Sunday sermon. The emphasis is not on listening to a message. It's about people. In the verse before and after the command to go to church, it talks about the one and others. Church is about relationships where you encourage each other. And we need relationships with others in pursuing the Lord. You need a group of people that know you. They know the real you. And they pray for you. They ask how you're doing and what you're learning. It's like when you want to be faithful to exercise, you find a workout group. You're much more likely to stay faithful if you have encouragers around you. Also in Hebrews, we're to consider how to stimulate one another toward love and good deeds. The word stimulate is a very strong word and it leans more towards exhortation than it does a suggestion or a little encouragement. What if this week, you were to stop and to think of what small thing you could do to encourage believers around you. What would you do? Would you have someone over, write a note, send a text, pray for someone, watch someone's kids, 
These are small things. But the cumulative effort of small efforts, or the cumulative effect of small uh, faithfulness uh, is radical. So when we add up all those small faithfulness, it's a radical change. It makes sense that your growth in loving others is a community activity. You need to have intentional believers in your life to model sacrificial love and encourage you to serve others too. So are you in some kind of small group? A CG, a ladies study, and many of you are. And there are a lot of great ones to be a part of. If you attend one, are you committed to going? Or is it easy to skip if you didn't finish the chapter? Or if your husband has to miss, do you stay home? If your babysitter cancels, does one of you still go? Value gathering together. I need others to teach me to love others. I can't learn to love others all by myself, sitting in a room alone with my Bible. I need others to teach me to love others. That the people in our lives consume a lot of our time and our thoughts. But have you noticed we're often more passive than active in forming our relationships? We don't usually pause to consider our motives for choosing our friends. And emotions sometimes play too big a role in how our relationships happen. Prayerfully consider the ladies in your life. Do the people in your life draw you closer to God? Are you intentional with the quality of time, the conversations that you have with them? Titus 2.4 speaks to the older women, and it charges them to encourage young women to love their husbands, love their children, be sensible, pure, workers at home, all of these good things. So this is an instruction to older, spiritually mature women. The older women are to teach and encourage the younger women. But I have a question for us younger women. Do we let the older women into our lives? Do we purposefully spend time with them? Seek them out. Or down in your heart, do you think the older women are a little out of touch? It was different when they raised their kids. Maybe you're afraid to be vulnerable. Or you'd just rather learn it from the YouTube mom with the trendy home. <laughs> the role of mature women is to teach us. But us younger women, we need to be teachable. I've spent many years serving in student ministries, mostly junior high and college. And there's a guiding principle of discipleship that stuck through me, stuck with me over the years. So we'd often have a big group of students and we'd wrestle with, which one should I spend time with? Because practically you couldn't hang out with all of them equally. So we were always encouraged to pursue the ones that were faithful, available, and teachable. They're faithful, they show up, they don't cancel when it's inconvenient. They're available, just practically when you offer to get together, sometimes they say yes. And they're teachable. You can tell they're listening and processing when you're talking about spiritual things. So faithful, available, teachable. Did you notice the acrostic spells fat? <laughs> that's just student ministries for you, that's probably why I love student ministries. But it has helped me remember all of these years that I should be a fat disciple. I should be faithful, <laughs> available, and teachable. Years ago, I served on college staff, and I wanted to have a discipler in my life. So I asked a godly woman if we could meet, and she said no, she was too busy. So I asked another, and another, and I got more no's. Apparently, I was a lot of work. 
So finally, a ministry leader helped connect me with the Titus II women, and it worked out great. Do you pursue spiritual friendships? Don't wait for them to happen or be discouraged by little roadblocks. Younger women, we have to pursue and we have to initiate. Years ago, there was an older woman I wanted to spend time with and learn from, so I asked if we could get together. She said yes. She said she was about to start reading a certain book and I could read it with her. I had literally just finished reading that exact book and it was not a skinny book. So you know what I said? Yes, I would love to go through that book with you because it wasn't about the book. It was about growing to be more like her as she magnified Christ. Do you pursue purposeful relationships in the church? Letter C, are you faithful in serving? Faithful in serving. When we read Hebrews 10, 24, let us consider how to stimulate one another towards love and good deeds. We're being called to action. Every believer is to love others through serving. There's so many passages on serving others. I've listed one other for you in 1 Peter 4, 10. As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Now, talking to moms with young children about service can be a sticky topic. There are moms all over the map, from avoiding serving to honestly probably doing too much. Um, there are moms who don't serve outside their homes at all, and they may even feel that their home should be their only ministry. They think, I'll serve in the church later when I'm in a different season in life. And if they're guilted into something, it can feel like an obligation, almost like a visit to the dentist. <laughs> These ladies, they're loving their comfort more than they're loving others. They have a short-term view of their home and how they're training their kids in it. Um, they're probably not serving according to their spiritual gift since they don't have joy. Spiritual service, it is work, it's called service, but it's designed by God to bring joy as you get to be part of God's plan. But on the other hand, there are moms who are so busy with service and with church activities, it is difficult to manage their home and be consistent training their kids. These ladies can say yes without weighing the cost, looking carefully at their calendars, without prayer and without asking their husbands. If they examine their motives, they may find that they love the approval they get from serving. They may feel it's more worthwhile to invest at church because they get quicker results from ladies than they do with their kids. Um, and they're weary of seeing little fruit in the unseen sacrifices at home. But these ladies are also loving their comfort. While they seem really busy, they're actually being lazy in their hearts because they're looking for those quick results and for more praise. Biblically, we are to be workers at home. That's Titus 2, Proverbs 31. We manage how our houses run. We are to teach and train our children to obey and fear the Lord. And we are to love and serve others. That's Hebrews 10, 24, 1 Peter 4. And most of us wrestle with living between these principles. The challenge is really to know what do I say yes to and what do I pass on? I hear ladies say they want to be balanced, but I think our idea of balance isn't accurate. We can think of balance as no tension and no tough decisions, but that's really not what scripture presents at all. Proverbs 14, 15 says, the sensible man considers his steps. The man in Proverbs had to stop 
and consider what he should do. It wasn't a cut and dry decision. Sometimes you have to take stock of your situation before you move ahead. Or Proverbs 31, 15. She considers a field and she buys it. From her earnings, she plants a vineyard. Now, how would the meaning of this verse be different if it simply said, she buys a field and from her earnings, she plants a vineyard? Now, every word of the Bible is inspired by God, 2 Timothy 3.16. She had to consider, to think carefully, take a calculated risk. This is a big financial purchase here. The word consider means to plot or to plan, and often it is used in a negative sense, like to plot an evil scheme. But when it's used positively, it carries the meaning of showing discretion. Um, it's linked with understanding and with prudence. So when you are considering something new to add into your life, whether it's joining a community group, signing a kid up for a sport, or starting a side business, you need to consider to evaluate it carefully. You should pray and ask the Lord for wisdom, James 1.5. You should consider how does the opportunity fit into my overall life priorities? Because there are areas in our life that we should prioritize. Remind yourself of those and evaluate where this new opportunity ranks in importance. Doing that can help clarify the decision. So in my priorities, if I'm first called to my relationship with Christ, then nourishing my relationship with my husband, loving, teaching, training my children, managing my home, serving others in the church, then my relationships, just my friends, my extended family, and below that, my jobs and my hobbies. Where does this new opportunity fall in order of importance? Is it something that will help me accomplish these priorities? Or are there more important things that I should address first? Also, you can ask, is there a way I can maximize this opportunity? I love maximizing. Double it up. For example, if you're considering putting a kid in a class, is there something you can consistently do during the class to accomplish one of these other priorities? Like do some targeted character training with my other kid during that time. Can I meet with a Titus II woman in that slot? Can I always do my Bible study questions then? Or is this new thing likely just to distract me from what I really need to do? Even though it's a good thing, there might be better things that I should invest in right now. I remember staying home with my first baby, and it was a gift to just be home with her. But can I be honest that I was bored? We were still involved in a lot of ministry. I was just used to a full schedule, so I started a side business. And that was fine with one kid, but then with two, and then with three. It was just too busy. So now looking back with the perspective of hindsight, I think it would have been more profitable if I just hadn't started the business, just personally. If I just spent more time with people, enjoying my home, enjoying my marriage, church family, just not been as busy. But having a different perspective on that now really just fuels my motivation to evaluate what I'm spending my time on right now, to say no to really good things that are going to distract me. So, and to say yes to things that are of eternal investment, even if those things are uncomfortable or challenging. Like speaking at Mom's Makers. <laughs> so, our goal is faithfulness. I want to be the servant in Matthew 25 who invests his resources well. At the end of my life, I want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. And faithfulness is usually gained in small, almost imperceptible steps. Growth is really slow. Some of you love to grow plants. 
and a few of you excel in killing them. <laughs> but you all know how growing plants works. You plant a seed, and you wait, and you water, and you wait, and you water, and for a long time, nothing happens. It takes time. The plant only grows after consistent and faithful watering, and then there's just a tiny sprout to show for it. And the impact of the word and prayer and community on your life is very similar. You look pretty much the same as you did yesterday, but as you serve in love, as you read the word, each day you are watering. And day after day of watering, you will see growth. Are you faithful to pursue Christ personally? Are you faithful to pursue Christ in community with others? I'll leave you with this insight from Puritan teacher Jeremiah Burroughs. He says, the Lord does not so much look at the work that is done as the faithfulness in our hearts in doing it. Let's pray. Lord, we are so thankful for your faithfulness to us. We are blessed beyond anything that we deserve. We're so thankful that we're called to be your child, that you love us to daily spend time with us, you welcome us back and you woo us with your love and your kindness. We pray, Lord, that as we think and discuss and evaluate our own hearts, that you'd use your Holy Spirit to point out areas where you would have us be more like Christ and more useful in your kingdom. Amen.